Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pony Express, the flagship podcast of the postwriter.com and the Postwriter Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Postwriter Editor in Chief Mike Levito, and I'm joined, as always, by Postwriter CEO Lars Emerson. You say as always, but I often don't join. I know. <laughs> I, I, and I think I said as always in the last episode, which was Lewis and um, Alex, and they don't always join either. I don't know why I say as always. Because um, usually, I don't know, in other, in other podcasts, it is as always. Who, 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 who cares, actually, is all how I feel about it. <laughs> um, I'm always there in spirit. Yes, yeah. Uh, and we are going to be talking about. Uh, the the hit, or perhaps cult cult hit, I don't really know how to judge its popularity, uh, reality comedy show, documentary comedy show uh, on HBO, The Rehearsal, which is, of course, from the mischievous mind of Canadian comedian Nathan Fielder, who most people, um, specifically Americans and non-Canadians, will... Um, know him from nathan for you which was the show that he had on comedy central for like five years or four years i believe it was 2013 2017 which i it seemed like later to or early, like earlier to me I, I if you had told me that the last season was like 2018 2019 i would have believed you but apparently not um yeah. anyway which was this um nathan for you was i get the way i would describe it is it's, it's basically like a parody of a reality show but specifically reality show like bar rescue or kitchen nightmares where there's some business in crisis and they go to like this expert to help them out unfortunately for these people on nathan for you (laughs) who are real people the expert is nathan fielder who is not an expert in small business and and just comes up with the most cockamamie schemes basically to get the company noticed or more efficient or like you know things like that like i think in one of the earlier episodes, his idea for a uh, struggling frozen yogurt company to gain more press attention is to create a poop-flavored yogurt. Th- things of this nature is what he would do. Um, but, you know, some of his stunts ended up getting a lot of national attention. Like the yeah. dumb Starbucks thing, I remember that, like, happening and yeah. not understanding what had happened. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. It was all over the news. He told one coffee shop to become dumb Starbucks instead of regular Starbucks and... Like they just branded everything past some parody parody law. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and these were all businesses like in and around like Los Angeles. Uh, what What are your thoughts and feelings on Nathan for you and like his whole like shtick in general? Yeah. So I was a big. It's you kind of struggled to describe the show, and I I feel that because every time I try to pitch it to someone, I'm like, you know, he's funny and he's like. He's trying to help them, but he's not. It's very difficult to explain. And then I like put on an episode, and they're like, "Oh my god, this is hilarious!" Yeah, like, everyone seems to like it when they see it, but mm-hmm. it's difficult to describe. I don't know. I just, I just have fond memories. I, I watched the last, I think, two seasons, like as they were coming out, um, live, and went back and watched the rest. It's like Dumb Starbucks was a classic. The movement where mm-hmm. he tricks <laughs> uh, these people with. Uh, like a 
like a fitness movement where it's like moving things from one house to another yeah and he uses them as free labor for this guy's moving service mm-hmm. that's classic the smokers allowed where he's got like the smokers mm-hmm. hey you can't smoke in a bar in la but you can if it's part of like art yeah <laughs> so the people in the bar are just part of like a stage performance mm-hmm. um and i i think you know that part's all very funny and very great my, my i think my favorite part of where it goes though is always like his own ultimate interactions with like the business owners or like yeah. the people is he's just very awkward with women mm-hmm. in a hilarious way um like in that smokers allowed episode he ends up like not casting the bar owner as herself mm-hmm. and he's just like yeah so you see why this isn't gonna work right <laughs> um he just he doesn't break character it's, it's really good um so i would i would say anything he does i'm interested i'll start there yeah it's of course it's sort of like the undercurrent of the whole show is like nathan trying to find some kind of fulfillment through his his schemes basically right like yeah. it's he, he he's he has this very deb deadpan kind of charmless very uncomfortable persona you know it's kind of implied he has like no friends basically right yeah. um the the other classic one is where he's sort of i think it's like a clothing store and he has like for like bored boyfriends he has sort of like the men's section and it's oh, just yes. like uh there's like a mini fridge full of beer and um like just i mean the idea is just like oh you could have like a football game on here but it's just like royalty free like football right, right. um and he's like very awkwardly trying to bond with the men in there, um, you know. The when when we were living together, the oft quoted line was, "You know what I could go for a mother effing beer," and he throws the beer at somebody. Um, yeah, and that I would that that uh, like struggle. A it, it informed like the last episode of the season, um, which is like so long that it has letterbox entry, which is finding Francis where. He kind of, um, it's not focusing on a small business. It's instead focusing on this one guy who had hired for some plot in the past where he was a Bill Gates impersonator. He stayed in contact with him and he tries to help him find his like long lost love from high school. And I would say like that, I feel like this informs the rehearsal a lot where he's not, the idea is to kind of like help people go on this personal journey, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, they use the same method in in the rehearsal that they do in finding francis where he actively like practices with the guy uh the bill gates impersonator Mm -hmm. it's like and here's how you like could talk to them and here's how you like convince them that you're a good guy and how you get over this situation um and then he like critiques them he's like well that's well, that's a weird thing you just said. Right. These, yeah. these people he meets. I mean, honestly, what Nathan for you taught me is just how desperate people in LA are and mm-hmm. how weird they are. Yeah, yeah. That's like the other kind of point of his shows is that these people. I feel like they come in one of two different varieties, right? There's the ones where that are just like too nice to say no, right? And they just go along with everything Nathan says because they feel bad. <laughs> and then there are the ones who are just desperate to get on television. And we, we'll, we'll talk about kind of more about whether one, you know, how that impacts how we feel about his shows later on. You, you said David for you is kind of hard to describe. I would say the rehearsal is maybe even harder to describe. Um, yeah. And we, we can kind of now get into like describing the first episode. So the point of the rehearsal 
and apparently, and I was reading like there's a there's a profile Nathan Fielder in the in uh, New York Magazine that came out this past month, and it talks about how the rehearsal was actually inspired by how hard it was to predict how like Nathan for you would go. Like before they would shoot an episode, he would always try to be like, okay, I'm gonna suggest this. They'll probably do this and that and that and that, and it didn't really work out that way. So mm-hmm. this show is about rehearsing your life specific life moments um basically what the the first episode the way we're introduced is there's the subject this guy named skeet or excuse me core skeet who is a uh, school teacher in brooklyn and he has a deep dark secret which is that he has lied about having a master's degree to his trivia team and nathan comes to his apartment to talk about it and Nathan says, so is this conversation going well? And Corey goes, yeah. And Nathan's like, do you know why? And he's like, no. And he goes, that's because I've rehearsed the whole thing. And the idea is that Nathan spent however long with like a like exact replication of Corey's apartment that they get by sending like a fake gas company to go and say there's a leak. They 3D scanned the whole thing. He hired an actor to play Core. And he just ran through this conversation like I that doesn't even say how many times it probably doesn't I don't remember it but and he's like so do you think you would be able to use this method to tell one particular member of his trivia team that you don't actually have a master's degree and he's like yeah sure so the whole episode is basically him running through the rehearsal planning how they're going to tell this one particular person and of course given this is Nathan for you. There are other developments that he thinks of that leads to more and more intricate inventions, I guess. Yeah. How, how did we feel about this first episode? So, I the only thing we knew about this episode, or at least the only thing I knew going into this episode, was the teaser that was released. I mean, it was like weeks before the episode actually dropped. I didn't even know the show was being made. Uh, and then this teaser dropped in June, um, and then the first episode came out July 15th. So I knew, like, the the gist. Uh, but then they show that he's recreated the entire bar. Like, yes. A bar I've in, been to, the Alligator Lounge from Brooklyn. Yeah, in, um, like, a, a warehouse. Yeah. It looks like something out of Breaking Bad or something, <laughs> how they just recreated it. It's, almost, it's like Ocean's Eleven when they do, like, the dry right. run of, like, the robbery. <laughs> right. That Yes, that is a good... <laughs> Uh, comparison it is like that um i don't know i just i just like burst out laughing because it's such overkill to do a full-scale replica of the bar uh like to i mean you know to the dent yeah just for this it's it's just an inherently comedic presence you know yeah like to the to to the like torn like bar stool right like i noticed there's a bar stool and it's like padded there's like a gash in the middle of the pad right um it's pretty uh pretty incredible and like throughout this it's like you know there's these kinds of like moments where nathan is like trying to connect with core but not too much like the scene they they decide to go i don't remember why they do this but they go upstate to do skeet shooting so you can like learn a little bit about core and like all that and they at whatever resort they're at they go to like the the pool and they're sitting in the pool and nathan asks core about his divorce and Cora says, oh, you know, it's the, one of the biggest uh, failures of my life. And Nathan's like, yeah, you know, I'm divorced too, which is true. Nathan is, in fact, divorced. 
in hmm. real life. And as right after he says that, a an old man comes into the pool and starts swimming <laughs> yeah. laps. And it's revealed that Nathan had specifically hired this old man to do that. So he doesn't have to get too intimate with Cora too quickly um, to introduce that awkwardness. And what, what, what kind of stood out to me is this, like, like, the way I was thinking about this is that, like, oh, this is a sort of, it's like the natural end of, like, the wiki-howization of life, but then also mm. kind of, like, a rejection of it, right? Because they, they run through the confession about Kors, like, not having a mastery so, like, over and over and over and over and over. And it's, like, literally, like, Nathan is, like, he has that. I had never seen this before, but it's, like, so perfect. This, like, laptop, like, <laughs> um, he basically strapped, like, a desktop to his, like, stomach. Oh, and yeah. then he has his laptop on top of so he can track what's going on and, like, stand. And he has, like, lit- like he's using, like, lucid charts to build, like, these flow charts of how the conversation can go and how Core should you know, react if, if, if the person he wants to talk to does not react well and all of this. Um, and he just tries to sort of like perfectly curate this like little world. I mean, it involves like him getting an actress to talk to the person core wants to confess to, to like get a, you know, a real portrayal, which involves him creating like a fake website, which also helps him in finding out the answers to the trivia questions to then, secretly like to best simulate what was going on and so that core isn't focused on the trivia he's also focused he's more focused on the confession and i think in that way it's a you know it's making fun of this idea of googling like how to you know googling like how, how to have a difficult conversation with somebody right this sort of like idea of that there can be like a rote step-by-step process that you can follow in a social interaction to get a desired outcome I feel like that's like a, a big um, like feature of like the online. There's always been like self-help books and stuff, but the idea of like, this is like a process and like you go from point A to B and you get, you get outcome C. I feel like it's a very sort of like tech informed idea. Um, but I feel like I, towards the end of the episode, what it does is it kind of blows that up a little bit in the sense that, um, Cor goes like a little off script. Like the idea is he's gonna get the pizza and then bring the pizza to the person he wants to talk to, and then while they're eating, he'll bring it up. And he he hesitates a little bit and all this. He just ends up telling her she's totally fine with it. You know, they end up having a nice conversation. Seems like they have a nice time. And I feel like ultimately the message. Well, I feel like the first episode is a couple things. One, it's a proof of concept, right? It's just like, this is what we're, the idea we're trying to do. And it's also kind of the idea of like, you don't need to actually go through this step-by-step process. You just have to kind of be honest and open and good things will happen. Right. I, I like the, the wiki how it is-ization, as you said it. That is mm-hmm. a good, uh, that's a nice way to, to put it. Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. Did it? <laughs> I, I also just really like the... It's hard to explain why it's funny, but like he find the actress he finds to play uh, Trisha. Yes. Um, and Trisha she, like, Dish. Come right, <laughs> right, Trisha Dish. Uh, it's like the first time she comes, she meets with the real Trisha, right? Mm-hmm. Is as like a a setup. Is like she's doing a birding blog or something. Yeah, it's because Trisha's a freelance 
writer who writes about like cheap things to do to have fun in new york right and um the actress is going to play her poses as a bird watcher right right and so she comes to interview her <laughs> and you know the real trisha's wearing this outfit and then in the scene where the fake trisha the actress trisha trisha will be playing it's like she's wearing the exact same stupid hat and stuff yes yeah it is so funny and she has like um, the exact same sort of like and like the thing about the show is like you like you watch and you're like oh i like i know these people right in certain scenes right, um right. and it's like oh i know a trisha she has this kind of like very breathless way of talking you know, and it's kind of like, it's almost like stream of consciousness, the way she just kind of keeps talking, 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 talking. And like the actress, like who plays her, like captures that perfectly. You have to see it to get it. <laughs> it's very funny if you see it. <laughs> it is. Yes, uh, I would agree. It's like, yeah, if, and I feel like, yeah, it is a hard sell if you don't already know like Nathan Fielder's like shtick. But it's one of those things where it's like, just trust us like this is quite funny. Um and it's, it's just, like, it, it, it plays on the idea of, like, you know, like, regular people are, like, funnier than comedians intentionally trying to be funny in a lot of ways. Um, yes. Yeah. And unintentionally, you know, obviously doing so unintentionally, but I feel like that's just, like, a big thing in, like, both Nathan for you and in uh, the rehearsal. So that's the first episode. The second episode, things get blown up a little bit. Um there's a story arc now. Yes. Uh, it's shorter. Cause the first episode's an hour. And I just yeah. kind of assumed that it was going to be like five more hours of this, but just with different people. Um, but instead, what it is... Uh, so Nathan finds this woman. They're, they're in Oregon. Finds this woman in like rural Oregon. Um, she's in her early 40s. She's never had a child. She's not currently married, but she really wants to have a child. And so... Nathan says, well, if, if you want to, if this is a thing you really want to do, why don't we have a rehearsal of having a kid? And the plot is basically that she describes kind of her perfect life, which is living in this country house out in the country, obviously. Why else would a country house be? And having this sort of like very big garden um, off the grid so that uh, the Wi-Fi um, radiation does not penetrate the baby's brain, because apparently that's a concern. Um and, and the idea is that uh, they will start with infant actors and then at night, because there are labor laws about how long infant actors can work, they will have a robotic baby um, that mimics a real-life baby. And I, I don't know that they ever exactly say what like the, the time uh, increment is, but they will the, the baby will, will get older and older, right? It starts out as an infant, <laughs> then I think it goes to like three years old, then to six and so on and so forth. But the second episode is really just with the baby. Um, so, like, what did you think of this kind of idea initially? I don't know. I, I thought it was... I agreed. I, th- I thought that it was... Every episode would be just, like, a different story with one of these these people. <laughs> He's cajoled into working with him for the episode. Um, so I thought it was interesting that they really do go a different direction. It lets you... <laughs> It, it turns it more into a reality show in a way, right? Is is it? They literally take this house in Oregon, in and they just like watch her. It's like there's a bunch of now like camera footage of her just like existing in this home, mm-hmm. um, which is endlessly more watchable than when like, you know, she's talking about herself, right? Right. Is it's it's her like dancing in her kitchen mm-hmm. and like 
kind of, I mean, by episode three, I think she's very clearly taking advantage of Nathan. Mm-hmm. To be sure, he's taking advantage of her too, right, but yeah. <laughs> which one of them is living in this, this house without mm-hmm. having to pay? Um, it's just interesting, like, being introduced to this character uh, of Angela uh through you know in this documentary style like it's a uh a the real world type of thing right it's just like cameras within this house mm-hmm. yeah or like big brother or something like that yeah. um and it's also but it also is it kind of reminded me of the uh the smokers allowed thing right where it's sort of just like showing you kind of like you're trying to like recreate like mundane slices of life as well but so the 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 most like uh (laughs) the thing that had everybody buzzing about this episode was not angela and it was not nathan but it was robin and who is robin well (laughs) nathan's like hey you know i in this in this scenario for you you know in your ideal scenario you have a husband right and she's like yeah it's like well we should find you should you should go on some dates with some men and find one who you think you know would would be a good fit and we can bring him in on the rehearsal and uh angela is very religious um i feel like it's kind of implied that she may have had some kind of an addiction issue or something she mentions standing on a corner smoking weed and drinking out of a 40 right um so it seems like she might be kind of born again or, or has come to it later in life but this is like slowly teased out like she doesn't come out and say hi i'm a religious person like it shows the first date and she's like yeah i don't really trust like the dead sea scrolls or other like apocrypha because it lets people you know change their mind about the bible and stuff and the one guy's like oh okay but she finally meets this guy <laughs> named robin um who i think he has some bible verses tattooed on himself he's like wearing a cross He's also very religious. The reason he's uh, so religious is that he crashed his Scion TC at 100 miles per hour and uh, was totally fine afterwards, apparently. Um, and she decides, you know, they, they hit it off, and eventually she brings him into the rehearsal. Um, how, how would you describe Robin? What, what are some Robin highlights for you? Well, well <laughs> s- some things you missed about him is he's, like, obsessed with numbers, right? Yes. It's like, <laughs> they, they really go out of their way to show. It's like, I think he's in a car in one scene, and he's commenting, like, like she goes above, I don't even remember, but it's like she goes above, like, 66 miles per hour, mm-hmm. and he goes, oh, 66! <laughs> or, like, he's driving, or, or whatever. Well, 33 is like, the big one, right? Because 33 is when oh, Jesus yeah. was, was crucified. <laughs> right. 88 Sybil's new beginning so every time like his there's an 88 in like his like like uh odometer or something's like 88 new beginnings right and like over the course of this one car ride or when he's driving i don't remember it's like he says them all multiple times he's Mm -hmm. like oh 33 (laughs) he's like oh 88 Mm -hmm. oh 33 there it is again (laughs) yeah he's just like really obsessed uh numerology that's that's what it's called um I mean, the, the the next highlight of his is that, you know, for as Christian as he is, he really, uh, I think it becomes very apparent that he wants to have sex with Angela. Yes. Um, and she does not. She's very against, she, they sleep in separate bedrooms in the mm-hmm. rehearsal. Um, and they end up, like, having a conversation about it. She's, she's <laughs> like, she's like, you know, I wanted to find out how you feel about, you know, basically having sex before marriage and he goes well i uh, i definitely have sexual right, relations right, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> um anyway that's that's a no-go 
the 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 other highlight is we meet Robin's roommate. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, to set it up, my favorite scene. Yeah. So to set it up, it's like they have this conversation about like you know sex, like before she springs the rehearsal idea on him. They're hanging out at the house. I guess it's after because she's like, would this present like a temptation issue for you if you right. were to stay here? And he's basically like, yeah, I'm I'm fine. Um, but then he has to go home to pick up his things so that he can stay for. <laughs> Presumably the entire rehearsal, and yes, that's when we meet his roommate. <laughs> Who, <laughs> their interaction is just so, so great. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, and Nathan goes with them, right? He does. Yeah. <laughs> Nathan's just standing there, and they start yelling. He's mm. like, what, he goes in the milk, he's like, oh, or he goes to the fridge, he's like, oh, there's no milk. No, mayonnaise. He's like, I'm trying to make oh, myself no a sandwich, and I notice there's no mayonnaise. <laughs> And his roommate goes, well, then buy some then. Right. It just immediately starts out incredibly passive-aggressive. And then it gets aggressive. And, like, Nathan comes back into the room. And they're, like, shouting at each other from ten feet away. Yeah. And I don't even remember. What are they They're saying, like, step off. No, it's like, squash it. Squash it. It's like, cross the line, bro. It's like all yeah, this, yeah. like, yeah, just yelling. Like, basically about to get into a fight. Um, and Nathan's just like, what? What is happening? Mm-hmm. Um, it is like the odd moment where I do feel like Nathan almost a little bit breaks. Yeah. <laughs> it's just very bizarre. Yeah. Um, anyway, that, that's the roommate. The other Robin highlight is obviously what happens, uh, what happens, I guess, later that night. Well, you see also when he's at his apartment, um, he, he takes a hit from a bong and then gets right back <laughs> in his car. Which has no license plates. Oh, that's right. Yes. Um, And Nathan's like, don't you need license plates to drive? He's like, no. Right, right. Um, That's right. And he, you know, he he goes back for the rehearsal. uh, And they show earlier in the episode that there's like a fake robotic baby Mm -hmm. that cries yeah (laughs) it's actually terrifying uh like scream cries during the night and so he you know he has to be like the dad and go take care of the baby and it just keeps crying Mm -hmm. all night long and eventually he just like gets up from his separate bedroom (laughs) like shuffles into her room she's like what are you doing he's like i gotta go i gotta sleep yeah (laughs) Um, really good. I mean, it's just so realistic. It's so funny. <laughs> it is. And he became a little bit of, like, a sensation on the internet, Robin. Yeah. And, um, people, like, found his Instagram. His brother tweeted about it, saying something like, I am glad the whole world knows what a dangerous psycho my brother is now. Um, and Vice found him and interviewed him. And <laughs> it's funny because you read the interview... And you, when anything anything like that happens, and we'll, we'll talk more about this later, but it's like, oh, are we going to find out that they, like, did something weird and manipulative to him? Like, right, is this right. going to ruin the show for us? And I guess the only thing that, like, seemed kind of off was that it sounds like he was scouted. It didn't sound like, like, because it, it's implied she meets these guys on Twitter, or not Twitter, Tinder. Or at least that's what I assumed, because it shows her on Tinder yeah. earlier. Yeah. Um. Uh, and it's like you know, it sounds like he was like scouted out by someone from the show, and they asked him if they wanted to be on it. Um, 
but then the interview the interview digs a bigger hole for him like he <laughs> he says that uh well he talks about his his crash turns out he's totaled like 10 cars in his life um he crashed the scion tc because he was like driving down some mountain road it looked like some guy wanted to drag race him so he was like yeah let's go he also may have been drunk during this time he goes like 100 miles per hour in a windy mountain road drag racing and he crashed it's like yeah it's, it's what's gonna happen and they ask him too about angela and he's like yeah we talk like i still think we're gonna end up sleeping together is basically what he says it's like i'm really good with women is what he says um so he, he kind of outs himself as like still like a i would say delusional person um because he basically mm-hmm. says like i feel like the show didn't show the best sides of me and they're like well what do you wish they showed me it's like i wish they showed me talking about jesus more like they show oh, a lot right. of that already yeah, they really yeah. Um, yeah but the effect of this is that towards the end of the episode nathan is reflecting on his own life um on him staying in this like corporate suite in oregon that i guess hbo or whoever has rented out for him uh and he thinks you know i have no children of my own i'm 39 years old and he, he goes to Angela and he says, what if I were to join the rehearsal and I would co-parent Adam, the name, the name that Angela has chosen for the, ch- the, the multiple children who she's basically treating like one child. Um, what if I joined? And she says, that sounds great. So Adam moves in and is like basically Angela's pretend husband and the child's pretend father um, in episode three. Um yeah and it uh that and it, that's where things get more convoluted but well, you're gonna got, say something well i got serious questions about the budget of this show yeah and, and i you know i was thinking about it and i think what makes sense to me and this is how i'd i could kind of try to explain it to someone is i bet they save a lot of money by having zero actors right, right like nathan yeah. fielder is ostensibly in charge He's the CEO of this production or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he can pay himself whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. $100, $0, <laughs> $1 million. So you save a lot of money. And everyone else is just like crew or like all of the actors are, you know, fake. Except the actual like low-level actors he's hired to play people. Mm-hmm. But it's not like there's like a star in this show. Right, so I bet yeah. you save millions of millions of dollars on that. And yeah, I guess you could use that money to build... Uh, exact replica bar or uh or canes as we'll see in the next episode <laughs> yes yeah um yeah it, it is pretty remarkable the re- like just the, the coordination of this like they're to to to, to get around child labor laws they have to well it's not getting around it they're complying with it but like they have to replace the babies and so like there are these scenes right. of these people going up a ladder into the baby's bedroom, like taking <laughs> one out of the crib, putting another in there. My favorite was when they're at the grocery store and Angela puts down like the baby carrier oh, yeah. and they come up behind her, they pick up the carrier and they put another one with another baby right next to her. Um, just really incredible stuff. Um, so then we get to episode three and Nathan is in the rehearsal of Angela it opens with uh, on Halloween <laughs> yeah. or around Halloween and Nathan and Adam, who is now like three years old, pop out from behind the curtains to surprise Angela be like, hey, Halloween. And uh, they've bought some costumes for Angela, including a Catwoman one. And Angela says, well, I don't celebrate Halloween. 
And Nathan says, why? And she says, because that's when the Satanists do all their sacrifices. And Nathan's like, I thought it was just going from house to house trick-or-treating. She's like, you have to wake up to reality. Is the exact <laughs> line she shares. And she's like, did you do a Google search? Yes. And he's like, yeah, I type in Halloween and it just says trick-or-treating. She's like, well, you have to do... Um, Halloween satanic, basically. Right, you have yeah. to do a... A special search yeah, that's yeah. like quotes Halloween satanic. Yeah. He's like, oh, you're right. A bunch of satanic stuff does come up when you do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, so the show then gets kind of, gets like extra meta because it's like, so he's in the rehearsal. But now, but he still has to run other people's rehearsals. So that's like him going to work in this scenario. So there's this other guy named Patrick uh, who... Uh, his grandfather has recently passed and left him a chunk of money in his will. But his brother's the executor of the estate. And the will says that the brother should not give Patrick money, any money, um, if, if Patrick is dating a gold digger. <laughs> and Nathan's like, wait, it uses that word, that mm-hmm. phrase, gold digger? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> And so he wants to rehearse basically asking the brother to give him the money, convince him that his girlfriend's not a gold digger. Um, this gets extra convoluted. So they, they, yeah, they build a Cane's chicken. Cause I guess apparently it was an annual tradition for the grandfather and his two grandsons to go to Cane's chicken, which is an interesting annual tradition. And I couldn't tell also, like there's a bunch of like Bronco stuff in there. So I, so, so I actually had to look this up cause I was really confused too. Cause we know they're still in Oregon, right? Yeah. So it turns, it turns out that the replica canes is built off of one that is in Colorado where they would go. Okay. And I think his brother lives in Colorado. Yeah, and they yeah. plan to meet up at that specific one. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because um. <laughs> I was really worried. I'd I'd like have been to that cane. Not that I've <laughs> ever been in a canes, but you know what I mean. I didn't even realize they were in Colorado. I always assumed it was just like a southern thing. Oh, I've. I don't know. I, I don't know. I've never been. <laughs> Me neither. I've never been out of it, but I knew they're, they're in the South. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he decides, and he's reflecting on his experience with Core, and he decides that, you know, it's really missing from the rehearsals is that there's not, not a lot of a feeling and emotion to it, right? Like, Core was tripped up when he got kind of scared and nervous, which he didn't really feel in the rehearsal because he was so used to doing it over and over. So he concocts this additional scheme wherein the actor he hires to play Patrick's brother now has like a new role as himself with a grandfather. And he, he, he goes <clears throat> to Patrick and says, hey, I have to pick up a generator for my grandfather's barn. Can you come help me? Patrick says, yeah, sure. They go do that. The grandfather, who's also an actor, is like, oh, hey, I have this one extra thing I need you to help me with. And... The actor says, no, it's, it's date night. I got to go. Like, I can't help you with this. Um, but Patrick's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll help him. And it turns out what he needs help with is digging up some buried gold in, his, in the woods in his backyard. And so they spend, like, hours searching for gold and digging. And once they find it, the grandfather says, yes, you were a big help with me. I'd really like to put you into my will and leave you some of this gold. Right. And the idea is to basically then trigger the same emotional response that he has with his grandfather. And so then 
like the day after Nathan comes to the set and is like, we have bad news. <laughs> this guy's grandfather died, so we're, we're not going to rehearse today. Then, it, then the guy comes in the next day and he's like, hey, so my grandfather left you some money as well, but learning all this about your, your girlfriend, she really does sound like a gold digger, and I don't know if I feel comfortable giving you this money. And so it leads to some more contentious rehearsals, and eventually it leads to this kind of beautiful moment where Patrick is like, very sad. He's like, tears in his eyes, like, you're my brother. I look up to you. You know, I'm just asking you to do this for me, please. And it's just like, sort of like big emotional breakthrough and break, breakthrough in that specific rehearsal. Yeah, it, it is. It's, um, well, and then, so, and then something happens that we've, at least I've kind of been waiting all Nathan for you for, and that is that Nathan has to say, like, yeah, basically, he, like, leaves the production and never, like, we never hear from him again. Yeah. And I always kind of wonder, like, why that had never happened before. Mm-hmm. And I get that Nathan for you was a little bit more of a, it was less artsy and more of, a, like, a tight, we produce a 20-minute thing or, or like, a 10-minute thing. But you always wonder, it's like, how often do they get, like, 99% of the way with someone and then the guy, like, just, like, never shows up again? Because these are all ostensibly real people. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. So episode three reminded me the most of like a, um, actually like throughout it, both the Angela stuff and the Patrick stuff reminded me the most of like a Tim Robinson sketch, mm-hmm. um, or it's like the, the, I don't, I don't know the, <laughs> the satanic conspiracies thing is right. one thing, but like I don't know, like Patrick's whole like existence and like character mm-hmm. and like breakthrough it just feels like the setup for like a sketch comedy bit right yeah it's like he shows up at the, and like the the fake grant the actor grandfather comes out and he's like "Ooh, yeah yeah he's like an old prospector type <laughs> right um and like i don't know the whole the whole like the words gold digger are in the will right it just yeah. felt like a tim robinson line to me yeah um so i don't know i I guess I might actually say episode three is my favorite for that reason. Um, but it does, it does also get the most meta and like by the end it ends like Nathan gives this kind of, uh, monologue, <laughs> which they show all the plants being replanted at Angela's to stimulate this, to simulate the passage of time. It's yeah. like she's got celery. Yes. It's just appeared overnight in her garden. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how much I need to hear about Nathan's own like personal story, mm-hmm. and I get that he's kind of saying it for comedic intent too. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I do think episode three is is my favorite of the episodes so far. Yeah, because it's like he 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 calls Patrick when he doesn't show up. Patrick's like, "Oh yeah, I'm at like the carnival with my girlfriend," and he's like, "Yeah, we went to get uh, she wanted to get me uh, what's it that uh, that like fun that cake like uh, oh, yeah, funnel yeah. cake." He's like, "I just feel like I deserve some funnel cake." <laughs> Um, and, uh, and yeah, Nathan's is just like, I feel like I'm able, I'm so good at creating emotions for these people. I haven't created any emotions for myself. And he goes into this whole kind of like monologue about the fakeness of it all. And he's staring at one of the the peppers that they planted in Angela's backyard and still has the sticker on it. (laughs) And he he goes and he like turns it over. Like, so he, he, he stays immersed in the, there's also, I lost it at the, (laughs) he's like well for because it's like he's like he's like 
And it's so strange when your son goes into his bedroom age three and comes out age six. And it's this kind of like seamless um, transition where it's like the kid goes into the bedroom and then like opens the door and it's like a different kid. Right. <laughs> it was, it was three years older. And then they've also built special digital mirrors that, that when Nathan looks at them, he looks like six years older. I also, I mean, some of the interactions between, and this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, but like the interactions between Nathan and like the children are so funny because he's just so awkward and the children do not want anything to do with him. It's like, there's this one scene where he's like trying to make eye contact with the kid and the kid is like spinning to never be in his, (laughs) so that he can never see Nathan. Mm -hmm. Um, Very funny. Yeah, and he brings the kid to work one day, and the kid keeps trying to walk away, and just like is holding on to him by his like overalls. <laughs> to be a child actor. Yeah, well, we'll talk about child actors in Nathan Fielder later on. Way more foreboding than that was meant to sound. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> those are the three episodes. So there's been okay. It's one of those things where it's like. On Twitter a lot, there's been a lot of conversation about the show. It's like, I feel like definitely targeted at like the kind of demographic that would use Twitter a lot. Um, But there's been some, you know, discussion of like, is what Nathan Fielder does mean, right? Does he take advantage of people? Is there like, is he crossing ethical lines? I've seen more people complain about people complaining about Nathan Fielder than I've seen people complaining about Nathan Fielder. Um, But... Uh, in the New Yorker this past week, Richard Brody, who's their film critic, who I'm not a huge fan of, I think he's kind of annoying. But anyway, um, oh, he, I just feel like he's a little obtuse. He's obtuse and verbose. It's a very bad combination. Um, but uh, he um, he basically he, he kind of like ripped the show and was like, this show is not about helping these people. It's about Nathan sort of satisfying his own ego and being able to build these kind of intricate little scenarios and do all this. And earlier this month, I mentioned the New York Magazine article about Nathan Fielder. They actually talked to some people who appeared on his show. And there were a lot who were just like, yeah, you know, I got, I was in on the joke as it was going. Like, eventually I realized this was supposed to be a joke and I kind of went along with it. Um, the judge who he would talk to a lot, who would like give him legal advice. Um, he, apparently he passed away a few years ago and like the whole crew went to his funeral and his wife was like, this was like his favorite thing to do was appear on this show. Um, the is that the same lawyer who he has like signed that whole thing, and like he has the footage of him like, well, I'm not gonna read all of this, and then like shows him the fine print. I I don't remember, but he's the one who like gives him advice on like making sure that the smoke detector is like labeled a musical instrument, oh, and like yeah, um how like the whole thing where it's like the claw that's gonna rip his pants off in front of the kids. Oh oh yeah. Um. Judge uh, Filosa was his name, hmm. um, but there, there also in this new in, in this New York piece there um, were a couple people who were on the show who were like, yeah, I didn't like, I felt like I was being mocked, I felt like I was being taken advantage of, like I didn't think this was very funny, like I told my family not to watch the show, like I I regret being on it, um, and I guess like the question is is like, do you? How, how do we feel about this? How, how, how do we feel about this whole the Nathan Fielder experience? Do, do are there moments where you think he crosses lines, or, or are you just kind of like okay with it all? I'm I'm a, I'm a big uh, I, 
I think I'm very comfortable with it, actually. And I say this both as an advocate of the First Amendment and also just as someone who finds it amusing. I think the reason... So I, I, I think about this in the same way I think about stuff like Borat, right? I think mm-hmm. Borat very clearly... Yeah. Uh, a lot of people definitely think Borat crosses a line mm-hmm. in in some stuff, and and I think Borat has more moments that are fake than Nathan Fielder does actually, um, but like he has been sued by a lot of people for doing things, and he usually wins these lawsuits because people they want to be on TV, and so they sign contracts mm-hmm. that they don't read, <laughs> and that's I like I don't know what to t- I don't know what to tell people who have a problem with that um like i get it i get why you'd be upset um but you know you were shameless enough to sign a a a contract or agree to be in this this television production and have and either just skim through what's actually going to happen or basically sign away that you have no control over what's going to happen yeah i don't have a lot of sympathy for you yeah i agree i think i think (laughs) someone on twitter put it was basically like yeah, I have sympathy for them right up until they sign the release form, right? Right. It's like, right. you do not have to be on TV if you don't want to be. And and I feel like this was a little more evident in Nathan for You, where I think it being said in Los Angeles kind of really hammered home this point, where it was like, in many ways, I think it was him like almost punishing people who wanted to be on TV. Um, like, the skeleton key for me was the episode with the... Um, the uh the hotel pod if you will where oh yeah um he he's there's a struggling hotel and he says well you know a big problem is that when parents travel with their kids they usually share a room and um that means parents can't have sex when they're on vacation so what if you built a pod a soundproof pod that the kids could go in and their parents could do their business and then when they're done the kids could pop out or whatever um and he tests this by um finding a child actor with two consenting parents um he, well they, they build the thing right the, and the pod the, the spaceship pod. um yeah it's supposed to look like a spaceship and there are jungle noises to mask any <laughs> uh, <laughs> other noises that might come through um and they explain to the the the, the parents of the child what is going to happen right they tell them what's going to happen. And what's going to happen is they hired two porn stars um, to have sex in the same room as the kid who's in the pod, right? <laughs> to test this thing out. Um, and they they do this. He also makes... <laughs> for, 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 for maximum veracity, he also makes the porn stars call each other the parents' names. <laughs> um but well, he also has multiple porn stars after that. Yes, like he, a full yeah, orgy. He ends up having like a full blown orgy. Um, and there's a scene where it's like this is going on, and it shows the parents in the hallway watching like a live feed of what's happening. And Nathan is like, "Do you want to stop this? Do you want to get your kid out of this?" And they're like, "They look like they want to, but then they're like, no, no, we don't.'" Mm-hmm. And I and that to me is the scene where it's like, "You like sick sons of bitches are letting <laughs> this happen to your kid." Well, nothing's happening to the kid. I, I know, but, like, the idea of, like, 
Like, what percentage of Americans do you think would be, like, okay with that happening? <laughs> well, especially, like, I, I get it if, like, George Clooney was the host of this show. But Nathan Fielder, his whole point is, like, no one actually knows who he was. Yeah, I know. During Nathan for you. Right. But, so this is a complete stranger putting your kid in this situation. Exactly. And, like, my, my point is, though, is that it's, like, there's clearly a commentator there of, like, you are, like, like look at these freaks who, like, are willing to do this to their kid just to make probably like what like a hundred dollars like it can't be that much money right and like maybe get their kid noticed by some talent scout who happens to be watching nathan for you like there's there's a um a patheticness there and almost a yeah like like there's there's like a greed and like a fame hungry nature to that right and i feel like that there's kind of like an implicit critique of that in nathan for you and it I think he's a little more sympathetic to certain people on the rehearsal. Not all of them. Um, but, it, and like the one, the one moment where I was kind of, uh, in the second episode, I was a little bit like, you know, they, they show Angela like praying and she basically says something along the like, even though they think they're in charge of the production, Lord, like show them that you are right. Something like right. that before Robin comes over. And there wasn't a part of me that was like, man, like, it feels like we're kind of making fun of this lady for being religious. Like, it's kind of low-hanging fruit. Like, I get it. Um, but then, like, in the third episode, it's like, nobody told her to say that, like, Halloween's a satanic holiday. Right. right? <laughs> no, Nobody told Patrick to make, like, a pretty anti-Semitic comment in, in that one moment. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> where he, uh, when he's discussing his girlfriend's spending habits. Um, it's like, no, nobody told these people to do these things. Um, so I really don't care if it makes them look bad. And also, like, if, like, look up Bar Rescue, like, they've been sued, like, at least once because producers have, like, gone in and, like, actually told somebody to behave a certain way so that it would, like, spark an incident on set, right? Mm. You look at, like, Love Island, like, the people on Love Island are basically living in a prison, right? Like, they're, they're basically subjected to, like, CIA grade level, like, torture, like, um tactics in like some instances right it's like reality shows are like evil um and i feel like that's kind of the point of nathan filler's thing is like showing how evil they are by being less evil if that makes sense it's an anti-reality show yeah it's kind of how i describe it is Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's using the same uh genre or style to make a point that Mm -hmm. this is you know, it's not good. You don't end up usually agreeing with the the bad actors, right? In yeah. These in his works, I don't know. Yeah, and like, and like I don't know. It's like, and to the idea that it's kind of like self gratification. It's like, well, I think that like all comedy to a certain extent is self gratification, right? It feels good when you make people laugh, so you want to keep doing that. Um, but he never like smiles so how would we know exactly right but like there's also like you know like i said i think there are very clear like messages about sort of like you know human connection what it means to like really connect with people at least in the first three three episodes so yeah yeah that's uh he's doing his work at its finest keep it up nathan exactly go nathan go um any uh any, anything else about the rehearsal? We, we, we talked about it a lot so far. Um, and anything I, I didn't mention that, that you think we should have? No, I don't think so. I'm, I'm curious to see how this Angela arc 
unfolds. Uh, especially, like, I'm actually really excited for when it's, like, a teenager child actor. Right, yeah. I think that has a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Because, I, um, uh, like, one of the teenager is, like, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Your religious views and your feelings about, like... Uh, the internet are like insane and you would just end up you can use the actor to attack Angela right in a way that like Nathan can't mm-hmm. I think it'll just be very uh, <laughs> very entertaining yeah um, the other thing I'd point I forgot to mention is that like um, you, you talked about like has anyone ever opted out like apparently yes like at least one person did and they just like didn't show the episode because they were like it's not worth it hmm. um, and and according to Nathan it's like you know, they, they frequently check, like, are you okay doing this? Are you okay? Blah, 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 blah. Um, anyway, but yeah, it, any other, like, any other predictions for, for how the show might go? That's my other question. No, I mean, predict, I'll, <laughs> I think that's the only prediction I'd be yeah. comfortable making. <laughs> so are you ready for my, like, insane theory? Okay. My insane theory is that the whole show is a rehearsal. Okay. That if Nathan is a true adherent of the rehearsal methodology that he would have rehearsed the entire show before he shot the show himself. So it's quite possible that everybody see is actually an actor. It's quite possible that the Robin character is an actor who has just been building an online persona for years, not years, or for, for a while to build up to this, right? You know, it's possible that all these, like, Fighting all these people online is all a part of the thing. Whoa. Uh, I guess I'd have to do more research on, yeah, like Robin and his background. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but I like it could happen. I, I can see something like that happening. Yeah. Um, like in the last episode, maybe it's like before all of this. And he does something with, like, the producer, like, the, whoever greenlit this show. I can yeah. see something like that happening, too. I don't know. Because it's, like, there's, in the second episode, when he he calls all of the parents of the child actors to be like, hey, like, I'm going to be in this role now. Like, are you okay with that? And he's looking at, like, the same kind of, of like, flowchart that he looked at that he was creating for Core and later Patrick. So maybe yeah, the whole show that was like a joke. I mean, probably, but like, what if it's an even bigger joke than we realize? I yeah, I guess. I mean, what? There's three episodes left. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, that that's been talking about the rehearsal. Um, good to talk about something that's like not a Marvel movie or TV show. Um, it is. You know, We're multifaceted here. Yes, expand our horizons. Um, as if we don't have five other podcasts about politics that we talk about other things on too. Um, anyway, um, I'm Mike Levito. You can find me on Twitter at mlevito on Letterboxd at Amara Mike. I'm Lars Emerson. You can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson and find the Post Writer on Twitter at the Post Writer. You sure can. You can find the Pony Express anywhere you can find podcasts. Please like, rate, and subscribe, and tell all of your friends. Post about it on social media wherever you go and uh thanks so much for listening folks and we'll in i'd say three weeks we'll probably be back to talk about the the last three episodes of the rehearsal i mean we got to right yeah i mean we got to rehearse it first but yeah we'll we'll, (laughs) we'll eventually be doing it um 
But thanks a lot, and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later. Bye.